0: Lord, we agree with those prayers and do, in fact, want to lift up our leaders and we pray especially for, as Mary Lee prayed, that you would uh, bring protection upon those that are under attack and guard their minds and their thoughts, emotions, that they would be wise and that they would uh, make sound decisions and the believers that are involved, that they would give good counsel. and. As Mary Lee prayed, that they would, uh, in fact, act according to your word, your revelation to be godly men, godly, godly leaders. This morning, we desire to continue to look into this very exciting passage. And uh, as we spend a little time in it, that uh, you continue to encourage us with it, that we find uh, sources of strength and resource. Mm -hmm. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Well, this morning, as you can tell, we're privileged to have Matt and Robin with us. Mm -hmm. And we pray for them. And you probably know we pray for you about every third third Sunday. That's why we're
1: coming here right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to give us a little quick report. We'll have an abbreviated Bible study this morning, but that's in order. In this report, I edited it out for security reasons. Some names and a few phrases. Okay, go ahead.
1: Thanks, Ray. Um, I was just remembering this morning, um, a passage from the book of Acts. Um, it's a fairly long passage about, uh, when, when the apostle Paul is, um, giving his farewell to Ephesus. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, but he does say in verse 28, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And I guess um, as we've gotten older, I think the thing that, like, we we first went overseas to to plant churches, um, which is still something we're really passionate about, but I think when we just think about our our gifting and the things that uh, end up taking up most of our time, it's, it's always around some kind of shepherding and, uh, either our, for ourselves or helping other shepherds, uh, to do better work, uh, to care for the flock better. And so this, um, of course, if you read the whole passage, it's, uh, it's, it's a very high standard that Paul sets. I mean, he's really sacrificed, uh, financially with his life. Um, just the example that he's given to these leaders is uh, is really overwhelming. Um, uh, and But it's also his warning about the different uh, challenges and attacks. Um, and I think it's interesting that, like, this morning, we've been, t- we've been praying quite a bit for different marriages, and that's one of the things that we're really passionate about. We, um, uh, I guess, just to give you a little bit of an overview, since we, uh, about four years ago, we moved back to Australia. We did some graduate studies in counseling, and we, uh, started, a, a business called Relational Wellness, where, uh, um, we give training to people, uh, really comes down to how do, how do we love our neighbor better, which, uh, really hopefully impacts marriage because that's your closest neighbor and you really want to be doing a good job
2: mm-hmm. in that
1: place. And, uh, so, uh, so that's one, one of the things that we're involved with, uh, and then also within our, our mission we're continuing to do what they call member care, which is a kind of a mission term for pastoral care and counseling that happened happened for missionaries that are on the field, um, and then doing further training around this. Um, And then we're continuing to try and support um, these dear friends of ours that we've met along the way in different places that we've lived, like Egypt, like our friends, uh, I think uh, you might remember it from some of our reports in the past. Um, do you want to say something about
3: you? So So, we met in 2000 and Matt went on an outreach trip to, from mm-hmm. Egypt. We went with a team of Egyptians to the country we lived in. And they did an outreach there um, at the time. They had a heart for Muslims which not many Christian, Egyptian and this... <laughs> yeah, well, they, they had been persecuted by the Muslims for years. And um, but, so he's now... So 19 years, he has just poured his life out to um, train people how to reach Muslims and to see Muslims come to faith. The family family groups, anyway, that we pray for, support a lot. And his latest project is that um, they've been offered a bookstore where they can actually give Bibles, or I guess they'll sell or subsidise Bibles that a lot of Muslims will come to. Um, but this, um, this project requires $13,000 a year to um, maintain. To, to maintain. Um, this is a pretty big thing, but it's, uh, uh, they're very creative. The, the, the things they do, they do medical mm-hmm. projects, they do street work with orphans, they do all kinds of things, and this is, this is one of the things that they're doing now. So I we just wanted to let you know about that. Um, Grace Church supports us, and through that we then supported job quite significantly over the years.
1: Yeah, well, I would just say that the, the support that comes to us through Grace... Goes directly to indigenous workers in Egypt. That's uh, uh, that that need this support more than we do. Um, yeah, and um, and he's um,
3: got girls that are about. They they were he's been married I think for about ten years. Um, they were in 15 few years. Usually when indigenous get married straight away, um, and it took them about five years. God bless.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so that along with uh, our friends. Those are things that, that Grace goes to support, like the amazing evangelistic efforts that they're doing there. And sending. recently, they, they have, um, he's telling us this crazy story about uh, people out in these villages, out in the desert towards where, um, where they were, the, the, they'd actually met people very uneducated that were, that were under the impression that if you were a Christian, because you believed this false doctrine, that you would grow a tail. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and so they're just crazy stuff that people would believe and that they've never heard um, anything like truthful around who Jesus is, only with what they were taught within Islam. Mm. And, um, and for their local couples, it, um, we've taken one of them on with our, our small group in our church in Australia. Um, it's for $500 a month. $500 a month. They can they can live in one of these villages and minister. A whole A whole yeah. so
3: that includes... they have two kids. Education.
1: Well, this one that we have, I mean, there's, they have like five different families that they, at the moment that they're trying to send out, and they're looking for support for that. Um, so it's just amazing when you think about like what it costs to send us out, for example, um, as opposed to what they're doing. Um, but uh,
2: yeah,
3: Egypt. Egypt. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so since we did our, our degree, we started this, uh, this business that's called, and the, the vision around having it be a business is, uh, not so much around, specifically around the profit, but it's about, uh, being able to train. So as people get blessed with this message and, uh, their own relationships are strengthened, uh, according to biblical principles, that they can then actually be trained as coaches so that, as Robert and I can spend more time back in the Arab and Middle East world, that they would continue the work in Australia. And then also a pool of, of coaches would would be developed that we could actually then take with us on uh, on trips that we're making to to uh, support people overseas. Um, and within our – so within our mission, with, we are member care people. So we go to different uh, the different conferences and we're um, – sitting with people that are on the field, kind of because we've had so many years' experience doing what they're doing, I think that there's a different kind of trust for them to be able to open up to us and get help. Um, so we're, we're doing that, but then we're also taking trips to various places. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were in with a team there that invited us. So we get to to work with uh, with their team to kind of strengthen them and bless them but then we also had a, a, a day of teaching with um, with their Arab, uh, speak, Arabic speaking um, staff, and that was that was pretty ma- amazing because it's a mixture of some that have come to faith and some that are not yet believers. And do um, you want to just tell a story about that?
3: Yeah. So part of the thing that we teach people about is forgiveness, and usually when we do that in a Christian environment, it's not a big jump, you know, for people to hear, you know, what. You know, how important forgiveness is. But when we teach forgiveness to a, a Muslim background group, we need a little bit more um, teaching around that. So we're talking to these people, and we're talking about how significant this is in being set free and experience the grace of God. And, and one of the guys who wasn't a believer yet said, well, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's true. But there are some things, really, that it's really, really, you know, you just can't forgive.
1: Well, and we're talking to a context of people that have all been somehow impacted by ISIS, because that's where they live. Yeah,
3: so they've, all, yes. they've all escaped from
1: ISIS. So their journey with forgiveness is maybe different than They're mine.
3: Just, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so he's giving an example, which of course, you know, it's heartbreaking what we've done. And um, as we're listening to it, this other man who probably is around, you know, in his 50s, around our age, he stands up and he says, Yes, I get what you're saying. He said, But. The fact is that until you've forgiven the supernatural, until you've experienced the supernatural forgiveness that Jesus provides, it's really impossible to extend forgiveness to others. But once you've received that, God gives us the ability to give others, and that is freedom. <laughs> and as and, and he's like, so he's, as I listen to this, I'm thinking, wow, this is huge, you know. And he's already told a story in in the group about how they have had to leave their home. And all their money, they just had to leave and flee. They lost it. So we're thinking, you know, he's left his house. It's just his money that's in the house, you know. And and, this, and God's provided. You know, beautiful story. Find out later, he was a millionaire. He had a mansion, and he left everything. And his testimony is, "What's that? I found Jesus. So much more, you know." And and, and, you, and, and we're feeling so humble. We're thinking, who are we to come and teach these? You know, the things that they've experienced, the grace that they've experienced. And yet, we provided an arena where that, that testament could be there. And so it was really, really amazing. So, so we felt so... Like, I was, I was actually very afraid to go to Like, when I looked on the Australian website, I like, do not go to London, <laughs> but we were so blessed. And we felt so safe. It was
1: unbelievable. That so was really, really important. So we're, we're planning to continue to do those kind of trips to, to help uh, different we might be going to in January or well anyway we're, it's in the, the plan planning stage of that um, so to continue again to help our teams that are out there but then also um, it's great when we get a chance to work with their local um, believers as well um, and we love doing that in Arabic um, um. <laughs>
3: It's, I mean, I think the thing is—you know, you think of the stresses that are in our marriage. When people move cross-culturally, it, it's very, very stressful, very incredibly so. To give them some tools to help them um, not just survive but thrive, and then, and then once they've experienced that, session, they can then pass it on. So it's a really significant thing.
1: This guy that was—I'll a, a, call him a pre-believer—the one in um, that was in that Arabic uh, session. You know, he was—he was so—he was, so, was like. There's some things you just can't forgive, and he was so he kept, whenever he'd get the floor he would you couldn't get it back, and it was just <laughs> he was so difficult to deal with there. And then but then towards the end he was like he's like actually you know we really need this stuff, and, uh, <laughs> and and so we really want you to come back because one day of teaching is certainly not enough. I mean our main focus was to to kind of work with our team because we want them to be able to do. To do more of the teaching in the future, so yeah, that's hopefully that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're up to, and um, appreciate your prayers for our um, again for the Indigenous people that we're supporting, but also for uh, the, the the trips that we're making, and we're hoping that we can actually head out ourselves um, longer term uh, in the near future. Um, any any just any questions about any of that? Then are you going to use? Uh Australia is kind of a base and then travel from there or I hope that at some point we would actually be based uh back in the Middle East somewhere. Right. And we're very our so our kids are now um uh, our youngest is uh is finding his way uh doing different uh courses and studies in uh in Australia. Then the older one is uh is a registered nurse at, at a hospital close to us. Um he's doing really well. Uh, and then our, our, daughter, her husband are just doing a missionary training called in Tijuana, Mexico, and hope to go back to the Middle East. And I just give you that background because we're quite interested, like, if we did settle somewhere, it might be, we'd love to be close to our grandkids, um, and they use that as a base for traveling around and doing, um, this, this sort of work. So, yeah, you can pray for Susanna and Zach too. Quick question. Do
2: you ever deal with, I hear there are, 12 don't believe in Israel are people called the Druze. They're uh, Arabic descent, but they still follow the, uh, the pre-Islamic pagan practices. Do you into any of those wherever you go? Um, there's not... Um,
1: I don't know that there are any Druze actually in... No, there's not necessarily Druze, but people uh, who live in a Muslim country that practice oh. something other than Muslim or Christianity or doing uh, we didn't in the places that we that that we lived in Tunisia Egypt or uh, or Jordan but on this last trip that we made we uh, we did meet some Yazidi people so uh that that, that I think are called Zoroastrian in, in okay, English and they they do have a, a belief system that pre-exists uh Islam as well as um, there are, there are disciples of John that live in um, that still follow the, the teachings of John the Baptist, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, and there are truths also.
3: I think when we go to people, will be fucking with a theory, like Syrian refugee
0: brands. Although I think there's but there's Jews in there. there, are and, truths and truths from,
1: there. From, yeah, yeah. Good.
0: Now they'll That's stick great. around after, and I'm trying yeah to leave a little time yeah, yeah to for sure. interact with them a little bit more after we're done with the study. Thank, Thank you, for you so time. much. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: That's great. Let's just pray for a It's Father God, just thank you for what you've called Robin, too. We just pray for your continued impact in the lives of people. The scripture acts are very And I pray for the upcoming trips to use them to open the windows of heaven. Pray for your protection, or provision for them, for others, and for religious you.
0: Amen. Thank you. That was great. Great little glimpse. Should give them the whole hour, right? I just found out about it just not too long ago, (laughs) a few minutes ago, that they were going to be here. So anyway, and by the way, I think, what was it, a few weeks ago, I sent out an email giving you some possible year-end, those of you that do tax deduction, end-of-year giving. Maybe I'll send that again, but here's a good place to... Do some of that.
1: Those couples can, just to put another plug in for that, $500 a month to support a whole family that's going to go to an unreached village. Amazing. Wow. Okay.
0: People can designate to that specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, we're in the Book of Romans, as you know, and in the Book of Romans... One of the most glorious passages of all the book is Romans chapter 8, as we've been seeing, and kind of at the heart of it, and one of the most encouraging passages, not only in the book of Romans, but I think all of scripture. Clearly, my, one of my favorites of all is the passage in Romans 8, starting with verse 26 through verse 30. Obviously, we won't get through all of that. In fact, Probably won't get through all of it next week, but we'll get a start on it. There's at least two major concepts that uh, Paul presents here. In fact, they're promises, and I consider them probably the two greatest promises that you can find in all of Scripture. One of them, and we'll get into it and look through it a little bit, introduced it last time, we just touched on it, but the incredible concept that God himself is praying for us. Mm. You want effective prayer? You want prayer that is effective? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit praying for us? Well, this is what this passage tells us. And in fact, later on, it tells us that not only the Holy Spirit prays for us, but Jesus Christ himself. That's an incredible thought, an incredible promise. In the midst of... What is kind of behind the scenes of this passage, the concept of suffering. In fact, I was more impressed this time than I ever have that this whole paragraph, beginning in verse 17, actually, which is the prior paragraph, he's transitioning in verse 17 to where he begins in verse 18 with the concept of suffering. So the main concept that he's dealing with is the concept of the suffering of the believer, in the context of sanctification. and I've been stressing that one of the main instruments that God uses to sanctify us is, in, in fact, suffering. But you might miss that because if you read through the passage, suffering is, He doesn't say, well, this is what you do, step one, step two, step three in suffering. Suffering is kind of behind the scenes. Instead, what he does is he focuses on this big picture of how all of the creation is suffering and how all of the creation awaits, groaning, awaiting for the the day that we are released from suffering. So the perspective of what God has in terms of the big picture, a big plan. And in the middle of that, we, we are given this little passage that talks about the Holy Spirit praying for us. It's in the context of suffering. And one of the greatest encouragement is to know, because in the midst of suffering we are distorted in our thinking oftentimes because of the pain and thing that we concentrate on is how do I get out of it or how do I escape it or what medicine do I take or how do I deal with it or you get a lot of confusing thoughts and emotions in the midst of that. And if we can focus on this bigger picture, it should be an encouragement and give us an ability to better deal with the immediate suffering. So, he gives us this concept of the Holy Spirit praying for us in our weakness. Now, I think he's dealing big picture still. He's not just dealing with in that physical pain and suffering weakness. But I think he's also dealing in a broad scope in terms of any weakness that we have, and obviously we are all very frail from uh, many perspectives, and as we get older, more and more so. So, any weakness. So, this is the context that we have. And, obviously, as we've been stressing, this is something that, because of inspiration, was written, obviously, to an original audience, to the Roman culture. But because it's inspired, it is just as applicable to you and I as well, intended by the Holy Spirit. So we won't go over any of the background there. We talked about that slide before. So we're looking at this glorious chapter, Romans chapter 8. We looked at the power over the sinful flesh. That's immediately after the description of that sinful flesh in Romans chapter 7. So, first 11 verses gives us the key, if you will, to dealing with the old nature. We're still plagued with it. We saw at the heart of it is a relationship. Christianity is a relationship. So, he focuses on sonship of sanctification, 12 through 17. And then in verse 17, he's transitioning. If we are co-sufferers with Christ... Then he promises we will also be co-glorified, you might say. It's hard to kind of translate that word, but it has the idea of co-glorifying or co-glorification in there. So verse 17 kind of introduces us, and he mentions suffering, but he gives us the big picture perspective. We have a future glory. We will be sharers or inheritors even, because he talks about co-heirship with Christ. So we will inherit that glory as well. And then beginning in verse 18, I tied like suffering, because that's what he's dealing with. Even though it's hard to see it through every one of the verses, but he's giving us again the perspective of all of the creation, and we spent a couple of weeks on the science of it, 18 through 30, particularly... The science of 18 through 23. Suffering and sanctification. There's a future hope in suffering. 18 through 25. And that's the focus. Is that future hope. The big picture. The ultimate. The end of all things. The consummation of everything. And in verse 18, that's why he's explaining why suffering cannot even be compared. And I use the analogy of our suffering is like a drop in comparison to the glory that is like an ocean. So, 18 through 25, so we're right outside of that portion. Now he's going to talk about present support in the midst of suffering, even though he doesn't mention it, but it's in the context. And I think it's in the paragraph. So, 26 and 27, we have present support of the Holy Spirit, and that primary support, obviously, is intercession So, verse 26, we have a need for it. We have a need for intercession. And before we get into the verse itself, let me remind you of some of the main concepts that we're talking about in Romans 8. Power in the Holy Spirit in us fulfills God's will. In terms of sanctification, walking in the Spirit is the means that God uses to conform us to his image or sanctification. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit gives power. So he's already talked about the Holy Spirit and the indwelling presence. Believers participate in sanctification. We saw that from one of the verses there. And then here, the main concept here, is suffering is God's main tool for sanctification. Even though it doesn't overwhelm the passage, you've got to keep it in mind as you work your way through these glorious promises that God makes. And also in this context, glorification is the end product of sanctification. Because this passage anticipates that glory, which in fact is the ultimate sanctification. So verse 26, in this same way. So he's continuing, this is part of the context. In the same way that we anticipate glory. In the same way, in the midst of suffering, in the same way, knowing that even all of the creation anticipates, and he's probably at least personifying the creation, making it as if the creation is sensing things like a human person would. In the same way, we can view our situation from that perspective, in the same way We have a hope of that future glory. I think that's what he's getting at here. And what encourages us in the meantime, in the same way, this is the perspective that we have here and now, as we look forward and anticipate that glory. And this is it. The Spirit also helps our weakness. And I think this is kind of a basic overall concept, overall principle, that whatever weakness, and more specifically, in the midst of not knowing how to pray, in fact, that's what what he's going to say here, but I think more broadly, I think all he's doing is just bringing it closer to home in terms of what he's dealing with in the context, but I think it obviously is applicable to any witness that we would experience. So in the same way, we have a future hope of glory And when he talks about helping, it's in the present tense. In this context, present tense, big picture, this is continuous. The Holy Spirit continually. No matter what we face, no matter what circumstance, no matter what weakness, no matter what illness, whatever ailment, whatever pain, this is a continuous helping of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this kind of permeates this verse, this ongoing present tense idea of the Holy Spirit. And this is continuous until we go to that day of glory. In fact, this is just the first fruits. We're going to have even a greater, I think, experience with the Holy Spirit. We saw the concept of first fruits uh, in the passage as well. Weakness, I've already kind of described it. It's overall, it's not just suffering, but it is in the context of suffering. I think it's broad and any weakness that we have. And he's going to give the reason for we do not know how to pray as we should. So more specifically, we are weak in prayer. So if you have problems praying, you're not consistent, you're intermittent, you're unsure, you don't know how to bring certain situations before the Lord, This is common. This is just our nature. This is who we are. And we need encouragement. We need strengthening. We do not know how to pray as we should because we don't have all of the information. We don't have all of the data. We don't have the big picture. He's giving us the big picture here, but we don't know any of the details of how God is working in any given circumstance. So basically, we don't know how to pray. We do the best we can, and I think that's all that God desires, but the main thing is he wants us to communicate, and he wants that relationship. And you know, we've talked about this before from other passages, when we pray, we're not informing God, because he's omniscient, knows our needs far better than we do. We're not trying to twist his arm to get him to do something, and you might even come to the conclusion, based on all of the character and perfections of God, why even pray? He's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants, he knows all things, he knows everything about us, we don't need to tell him anything, why pray? Well, he wants that relationship, and that's what he's getting at here. For we do not know how to pray as we should, so he's reminding us we have a need to pray, because we don't have a clue what prayer is all about and the circumstances that God may be using in that. So there's a need for prayer, and this is, again, I think, broad-based in general, not just for, Lord, can you take away this aching, broken fingernail that I've got here? So we have a need, and then here's the encouragement, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. It's an amazing concept. It's hard to conceive. obviously, Holy Spirit, we believe in the Trinity. How can God himself pray? Obviously, there must be an inter-Trinitarian communication. You get that all the way from Genesis chapter 1, where there seems to be communication within the Trinity in terms of creation of man. Let us make man in our image. There seems to be some mysterious, from our perspective, communication where the Spirit himself, and there's emphasis there, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. It's not that God is not hearing. It's not as if God is aloof and needs to be informed by the Spirit. What's going on down there? Let's have a little meeting, and you can kind of clue me in as to what's going on. That's not the concept at all, but it's an incredible thought that Within the Trinity, there's conversation concerning our needs and our weakness and who we are and a tremendous thought. We don't know how, and specifically, we don't know what things we need to pray for. We simply lay our hearts out before God, but we are assured that the Spirit himself intercedes. And he uses the word interceding, in other words, making requests, asking specifics interceding for us. And again, it's in the present tense. So we have another present tense verb, intercession. This is an ongoing experience. Even when we are not praying, the text is saying the Holy Spirit continues to pray. Tremendous thought, tremendous encouragement, and great security. And by the way, as we move through these verses, I'm going to bring out, as we get beyond... Uh, today's study, we're going to see added little notes in the text giving us security of not only a plan, I was going to do a little bit of that today, we won't have time to get into that, but I'd like to give you a big picture on the plan of God that he mentions at the end of verse 28, we won't get there, but at the end of that verse, we have a statement concerning the purposes of God that are revealed to us that we know from Scripture. God has revealed a plan and a purpose for all of his creation. It's in the context right here. Knowing this plan enables us to be able to face whatever we face as well. So a continuous intercession. And here's kind of a interesting little phrase here. With groanings too deep for words. That's a little bit of uh, a... Strange comment as well. No, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> A little, it, uh, well, I was going to comment on uh, charismatic interpretation here. Now, if you look at it carefully, it does not support this idea uh, that some charismatics have that supports the idea of speaking in tongues as this groaning or this mysterious language. First of all, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not we, it's not the believer that is praying here, but the Holy Spirit. But I think he's using the groanings here as a little bit of a play on words, you might say. The Holy Spirit doesn't have pains and groans like we do. Remember, he's used this word two times already, or uh, the cognate at least. He's already used it two times. What was the first groaning? Yeah, the creation groans. And even that, that's not... A literal groaning, I use the example of tragedies, volcanoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, you, you have a sense that there's something not right with the creation and these natural disasters, you might say, that kill people, destroy villages, destroy cities. These are, I think, what he's alluding to. We looked at some of the science relating to that. But the creation groans, and it gives us a sense there Something is not right with even the creation. That's why he explains and gives a commentary on Genesis 3. The sin of man affected the entire universe. And the whole universe anticipates release. And he focuses on a time when the believer will be released from these sinful bodies and experience glorification We identified that as the first phase is the rapture of the church. We talked about that. And then, verse 23, we also groan. Now that, I think, is more appropriate to us. The groaning of creation is probably more anthropomorphic, as if it were a person. That's what anthropomorphisms are. And then it speaks of us groaning. We certainly groan. And if you're in pain, it's a literal groaning. You break your arm and you groan. He's expressing that pain in sounds, I guess you could say. I don't want to say language, but sounds. And then here, Holy Spirit's groaning out of place. But I think he's playing on words. In other words, the same emotional aspect, the same intensity, I guess you could say, that there's a prayer going on, an inter-Trinitarian communication, where the Spirit is active, and it's not just a casual, this is, this is an intensity, and I think that's what he's trying to communicate. With groaning, too deep for words, and there's no words that need to be communicated, so it's not a prayer language, if you will, because it's too deep for words. It's not articulate, it's not speaking. It's too deep for speaking. So it doesn't lend support to that concept, even though this verse is used by some charismatics. And it's the Holy Spirit, first of all, and too deep for words. Words are not needed. In fact, within the Trinity, words and communication are inherent. It's it, it's not something that has to be verbalized. God is immutable. It's not like the Holy Spirit is informing God. He knows all things, all times, eternally. So it's not a communication. When we communicate, I'll give you an idea and you'll say, oh, I never thought of that or I disagree with that or whatever. But there's there's change. There's things that go on in us. That doesn't happen in the Trinity. So we have groanings too deep for words. I think it's put in a way that makes us identified. In other words, we can be encouraged that there is as if the Holy Spirit and God were communicating and communicating certain things, but in reality there's no need to communicate, yet we're told that there is some sort of communication too deep for words. Make sense? Satisfied with that, Maddie? So, groanings transcend speech. It's not articulate, it's not verbal, transcends it, because we're talking about things that go on within the Godhead itself.
2: I think you could say too, Ray, that each one of us have experienced that at some time in our lives when there is something before us that we actually do not have words, I mean, we can talk about it, but even as we talk about it, we know that there is not a word to describe a longing of our heart, a, a need uh, a right. in our heart. that there is not, there is no word available. We don't have it in our vocabulary.
0: Exactly. Yeah, very good. And very
2: so good. I, and it doesn't matter whether it's a health need, and, and a, a need for children or friends around you. You just have this thing where you can talk all day and yet you know you've only nibbled at very edge mm-hmm. of what, is desiring what you're for.
0: Yes, yeah, very good.
2: And in this context,
0: in fact the prior verse here, or verse, groaning's too deep for words, I think as Paul has somewhat anthropomorphized the creation, I think he at least is playing on this idea with the Holy Spirit and perhaps anthropomorphizing the Holy Spirit as well. Looking at the Holy Spirit as if he were a human rather than he's a person, but he's not a human person. Yeah.
2: So I was just wondering, do you think it's possible that someone who is sick and poor might be within the will of God? and God might have purpose in him being sick. Could that possibly be true?
0: Who knows? <laughs> we don't know how to pray, but yeah, I think that's what we've been yeah. developing the whole the whole passage. The reason is
2: there's health and wealth people.
0: Right. We don't know the bigger picture. Yeah. We have a glimpse of it in this passage, a big glimpse of it. And verse 27, it's intercession according to God's will. And what are we encouraged? We're encouraged to pray according to God's will, and then we're given the promise that if we pray according to God's will, it's going to be answered. Can the Holy Spirit ever pray against God's will? It's almost axiomatic, it's almost no need for stating, but I think what he's doing here is he's encouraging us from the similar perspective that he encourages us to pray, the Holy Spirit always prays according to God's will. So let's look at that verse, verse 27, and he who searches the hearts, now that's the Father, we have the Trinity involved here. This reminds us of all of the passages where God not only knows the hearts, but he searches the hearts, not to find anything, but searches in the sense that bringing to our awareness what we need to know about our hearts. It is like filthy rags, remember that one? He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Now again, this is kind of a statement that doesn't need stating. God has all knowledge, he's omniscient, but it's brought to our attention in order to give us kind of an assurance that God is taking care of all of these issues, all of these things, particularly in the most severe of pain. The Holy Spirit knows our pain, intercedes for us, God knows the heart's And he also knows the mind of the Spirit. So everything within the Godhead, obviously, God knows omnisciently. Because he intercedes. Now the he, in this phrase here, refers back to the Holy Spirit. The close antecedent. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Tremendous thought. Tremendous thought. So every prayer of the Holy Spirit is answered. And the Holy Spirit sometimes, as Russ is pointing out, prays that uh, we endure the suffering for a period of time, and sometimes he doesn't pray that it be removed. And sometimes he's praying that we might learn some lessons in the midst of that suffering. And faith. He's praying that we will be trusting, that we will put our cares and our concerns upon him. He's praying according to God's will, and that will is going
1: to be answered
0: So, the intercession is according to God's will, kind of the high points of this little passage here. And the interesting thing here, the Holy Spirit prays in us. He's already stressed the indwelling presence. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does internally, praying in us, and it's the Holy Spirit that prays in this context, not we. Now, we should be encouraged to pray and Perhaps the greatest prayer we could pray would be, God, help me to align my prayers with the Holy Spirit. Help me to align with what the Holy Spirit is interceding, and then uh, this is what God would be pleased with. So, 8, 26, and 27. Somebody want to look up uh, John 14 as well? You got it already? Who wants to do Hebrews 7, 25? You want? Wayne's got it. We just completed 826 and 27, the Holy Spirit interceding in us. What about John fourteen, sixteen through seventeen?
2: the Father.
0: Now this is Jesus. We have a Trinitarian passage again. Jesus asking the Father
2: We'll give you
0: another not any Greek if Another of the same kind, There's a Greek student. Uh,
2: another helper. That's, that's
0: alos, for those of you other Greek students, rather than Hederas, right? Uh, that
2: he may be with you forever. That is the
0: spirit truth whom the world cannot see be, because it does not email
2: But you know me because it is like with you. Read louder. Oh. Read louder. The people in the back are screaming. I know. Um because the world does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will
0: be. Okay, because he abides with you and will be in you, but it's in a context of the Comforter, the one that is going to minister to us. One of those ministries is prayer. And in verse 34, it speaks, we won't read it, but it speaks of Jesus praying, the Son. From the right hand, and I kind of emphasize that, the spirit inside of us is praying. The son at the right hand of the father is praying. And you can say the same thing about the son. Does the father need information from the son? That's things that he didn't know about. Is no. he so aloof, so distant? And yet there's this inner Trinitarian prayer who's got Hebrew 7. You got it going? Read it. Read it loud. Mm-hmm. 7.25. Mm-hmm.
2: Therefore,
0: he is also able to save for the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Okay, and who is the he? Who is the one that saves? context, if you read Hebrews 7, is Jesus as a Melchizedekian priest intercedes. That's what a priest does. So we have the Spirit and we have the Son interceding, to the Father. Tremendous encouragement, tremendous promise. The second greatest promise, I believe, in all of Scripture, is what we have in the next verse. And it begins kind of a subparagraph, 28 through 30. First of all, we have a promise of a, a, a sovereign plan. And it's a tremendous promise to know that God is orchestrating a plan And within that plan, every circumstance, every situation, I would even say every electron in the universe is working in such a way that it's all working to our good, to our benefit. Tremendous thought. In fact, I can't think of any greater thought than that. And we don't have time to get through all of it. Let me just... Make a couple of comments here. We know, and we'll expand upon this next week. We know it's oida. You Greek students, oida, What? there's two words in Greek for knowing or to know, a verb and a noun form, two Greek words. Oida is what? It means like see. Oida. No, this is oida. To know. To know. Okay. Dinosko is the other one. Gnosco is not always, but generally knowing by what experience. In other words, learning a lesson, for example, or learning by some experience. Oida is the other end. Oida is intuitive, axiomatic, you might even say sometimes. I think in this context, we know by revelation. Not by experience, but by revelation. In other words, we can't observe it, we can't learn about it in terms of uh, study, but we can learn about it by revelation in this context. And it's by revelation that we have this concept. And we'll go into more detail. Knowing by revelation, not experience, that God causes all things. Tremendous promise, all things. I want to camp on that, and we'll look at that next time. These are broad statements. This whole context is big picture. I've been emphasizing that, dealing with the whole universe, dealing with all the scientific realm, dealing with all of the spiritual realm. I think all things here is comprehensive here.
2: As in all things, as in uh, every
0: electron, and sub. So, what's, what's smaller, uh, Bill? What's smaller than electrons? We know, that all things... Now, I've got to kind of explain it. The, The subject of the working together, in fact, that's one word in the Greek, God is the one that is the subject. I think the King James Version is a little inaccurate, I guess you could say. Probably the best way. It's God that works all things. It's not all things working together. It's God working them. God is the subject of the verb. In fact, the... The uh, All things in the Greek is in the accusative. It's the object. I'll, I'll explain this next time. But a tremendous promise to think that God is working this, this heartbreaking situation, this weakness, this suffering, he's working it for my good. And there's lots of examples in Scripture that we'll look at, and a lot of other verses that I'd like to look at as well. Mary Lee, before we close. Oh, so we
2: close, now, is, is working together <coughs> the verb or God causing? Actually,
0: the translators insert the word causing, but the, uh, the verb is to work together. So God
2: works together um, all things for,
0: sure. for good. Yes. In fact, here's the word, work together. It's another one of those soon... Combination words? Synergy. That's where we get the word synergy, and we'll we'll talk about that. Okay? Closing thought, we can rejoice in two of the greatest promises in all of Australia. I would like to close for us? And remember, Matt and Robin will be here afterwards, so you can stick around.
2: Got it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise. That the God of the universe is indeed working on our behalf to bring together the plans that were laid, the, the overall plan, not moments necessarily that he is working in our lives to us, to bring all creation back to the state that it was before we moved up. Uh, Father, I do pray for us this week that we will be eager, that our hearts will be eager, that our eyes will be open to see the ways you desire to work in us, that we might join you in all the ways you are desiring to work through us mm-hmm. to restore your creation to the very of Father, we desire that with all our hearts, understand? Amen.